Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Okay, everybody, we have to take a break for our sponsor. And to start it off, we are so, so excited about the Janus products and far as Noki and what is going on in the industry. Everybody knows Janus for their metal fabrications. And if you don't, you should. They are the biggest in the industry, but a lot of people don't know about the Noki product, which is the keyless entry system. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. You got to go check it out. This is the wave of the future. We're building out and we use their product in our facilities across multiple states, including our office buildings that we're turning into storage, Kmart's new builds, ground up, because the new product that they've had for expansion allows you to put this product on your doors without running power. Obviously a huge one. So when you're talking about refurbishing and value add, attaching the Noki product onto the doors without running power is a big deal. And a battery, you think, oh, I don't want to be changing batteries constantly. They last like three years. And so you can put them all on the same schedule. Every two plus years, you just go change them all out. It's quick, easy. It's a touchless entry system that can connect with your gates. You can see everything that's going on. It adds more security, ease, and it increases your market of potential customers. It's in our show notes and on our website. You can go to selfstorageincome.com, click right there on the front page. It's got Janice. And of course, tell them we sent you, everybody. Thanks. What's up, everybody? A break from our sponsor. And, you know, I've mentioned this a few times, but I got to mention it because I asked this sponsor to join us. That sponsor is Live Oak Bank. We had a lot of people that wanted to be sponsors on our podcast, but we wanted to bring a lot of value to you guys. And Live Oak Bank is one key because of the financing portion. They're all over the United States. They specialize in self-storage. And especially for you guys trying to get in, you don't know how, they offer SBA loans and they're amazing at it. They get rid of a lot of the hassle, struggle, and they know the product. They're focusing on the business plan. They're focusing on the asset and what's going to happen in self-storage. They become a partner, not just a vendor. That's why I wanted them on, and that's why I chose them. This was something we struggled with when we first started in the industry, was financing, particularly in some of the markets that I was going into and doing value-add. Banks weren't excited. This was 15 years ago. I wish I had Live Oak Bank as a resource. We're happy to have them now. Terry was on the podcast. He's coming back on the podcast here soon. You got to go listen to his Terry Campbell's podcast. It's amazing. Reach out to him, selfstorageincome.com or in the show notes. It has the sponsors contact. Tell them we sent you and get out there and get it done. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. Today is going to be an incredible podcast because we are talking about 20... 
2020 self-storage performance in the midst of a crazy year, as well as what that means for next year. And uh, you know what? We have the authority here in self-storage, my good friend and also business partner in a couple ventures, uh, John Lindsay. You guys have heard him before. He's got a book coming out as well. We'll have a whole episode on his book for his book release. You guys are absolutely going to love this. And the reason why I think it's important to have John Lindsay is because John Lindsay is in the unique position of playing both sides of the table. As in, John Lindsay owns a self-storage brokerage firm where he specializes in self-storage, but he is also a major owner and operator, owning and managing over 10 facilities across multiple states. So we get to see both sides and hear what's going on in the industry. So without any further ado, everybody, I'm going to bring him in. How's it going, man? Hey, man, thanks for having me. I, I wish I got an intro like that everywhere I went. It's very <laughs> flattering on a Monday morning, especially after our, our start to the year here. So it, right. it's great to... Great to share the screen with you, buddy. You too. I'm, you know, this is a topic that is so timely with everything that's going on, you know, in the United States and everybody not knowing where to put their money and what this means. And two, I, I don't know, dude. It's like people are still reeling from 2020. Like, what just happened? I'm still spinning. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, <laughs> this time a year ago, if you told anyone anything that would happen, there's there, no way, no way. any any part of it. No, no part of it. And I mean, a year ago today, I was on a ski trip in Whistler and the world was fine. So, you know, now I can't even get into Canada. So, yeah. you know, let's let's start there. But I just think it's insane. You know, when when everything first happened last year, AJ, we were just we were just spinning and like, what's this mean for storage? What does this mean for the world economy? Like what's going on? You know, March, April, May, little little touchy months, some, you know, bumps in accounts, receivables here and there. But once we kind of got through that, storage seemed to be turning around. I mean, I'm sure you guys saw the same trend yes. out in Idaho, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It was the same thing. It was when it first started, There, it was like there was a delay in the effect on storage, then it hit us, and then there was a quick catch-up. And yep. it was like, we're kind of going, whoa, like what in the world's happening here? Well, that, um, like that month of April, we saw that first dip and all everyone could think was, this is going to keep going. We're, yeah. we're, we're down. And, you know, when storage, such a solid base in the, you know, the yes. grand scheme of the world starts to slip, we have much larger world issues yes. than just our industry. So I was really concerned for a little bit. And then once that uptick swung in May and June, I was like, wait a minute. Said we're in a we're in a great position. We yeah. are in an industry that has proven itself time and time again, and even in the midst of a global pandemic, which clearly we haven't experienced for you know, this length of time in the U.S. and the, this scale and capacity, storage rang true in 2020, and yeah. I'm super thankful for one to be involved in such a great industry. Yeah, we talked. I was talking about this um, with my. Uh, business partner and father, because we own other businesses, including online businesses. We've owned gyms, um, and we were looking at doing development in hotels, uh, not in 2019. Yeah. And we look back, and we were just sitting there this morning going, wow, we got lucky. We sold all the gyms in 20 at the end of 18, and mm -hmm. we got into the online business in 19, which exploded. And we decided to hold off on hotels uh, 
until 2020 and make the decision on hotel development in 2020. So <laughs> it turned out to be amazing timing for us. And it was like, we're so glad we're in storage. It's amazing because, I mean, as you well know, there's so many people in storage that touch so many sectors, whether it's mm-hmm. hotel, retail, gyms, e-commerce, you name it. Yep. And everything I hear, unless you're in the logistics platform or something like that, I mean, everyone's had a really rough 2020. Yeah. But the one thing that reigns true, they said, thank God I'm in self-storage. Yes. Like, this has been just my tried and true, batting singles every day, like, home run of a business. And it's it's just really proven itself yet again in the midst of all this muck that's going on, both domestically, internationally, with debt shutting down with, you know, changing politics and everything. I mean, it's just been, it's been a whirlwind of a year in 2020. And, and I think really through spring and summer, we were kind of sorting through this and shaking things out, but we really saw some of the bigger transactions start to happen in 2020 towards the tail end of the year. I think once everyone really got COVID kind of under their belts for lack of a better phrase, you know, they kind of said, okay, this is our new norm for the time being. We've seen how storage performs. And now we're going to act on the information that we have at hand because that's that's all we can do. We don't we don't know when the end of this is going to be, and neither does Wall Street or the private equity yeah. funds or the single owner operators. So you all know, we can do is just kind of make decisions on what we have now and and plan for the future. Bingo. You know, before we get into this, because this 2020 made history for a lot of reasons, but a lot of reasons people didn't notice, particularly in self-storage, which were monumental for this industry, that were just crazy. We've never seen anything like it. And I don't mean asset performance. I mean players and different things like that, which I want you to talk about. Before we get into that, though, talk to us a little bit about, and let's give a foundation for your experience, what you do, where you own, how you got into it, um, you know, once again, you're a member of the largest and owner of the largest co-op um, in the nation, as well as uh, the software company that we've talked about on a property management system. And I bring that in to show the diversity of experience and ownership within the, the industry that you have. So how did you get into this industry? What's your experience been? And, and go through that real quick. Yep. So uh, I grew up around storage, whether I liked it or not. My dad started building <laughs> facilities in 1969. I was pouring concrete and you know, running machinery with him and coming through high school of you know, all the site visits I'd done for him and secret shops and working jobs. I was like, dad, I love storage, but I hate pouring concrete. I was like, I'm just, I don't want to build them. I just don't. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't look down by anyone who wants to do that. That's awesome. I worked with a ton of great developers. It's just not my speed. I have the attention span of a goldfish and I just knew the development was, was not my, my cup of tea. So you know, my dad retired in the mid 2000s. I was going through college and I said, dad, you know, I think I really want to get into the brokerage side. I want to utilize this wonderful platform of knowledge I have coming from the ownership and development side and said, you know, I, th- I think I want to build out this, this great platform to go help other owner and operators really make sure they maximize the value of their assets. And so in 2012, my brother and I launched Lindsay Self Storage Group. And now we do brokerage work all over the US, Europe, and Asia. Uh, we've built a pretty large platform for ourselves, hiring a couple more team members this year, looking to continue to grow our reach in different pockets of the US. Um, but you know, also my brother and I have our own chain of stores. Currently, we're in Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina. Uh, used to be in South Carolina, Louisiana, Florida as well. Um, but you know, we've kind of seen and done it all. We've touched every end of the business. We used to own a management company. We sold that a few years back. So we've really kind of come from every facet and angle you could imagine. And 
as you correctly pointed out, now being involved with the co-op and the tech platform. I mean, we've just built a really broad base for ourselves, which I think really lends it to when we come to doing brokerage is that we've experienced every walk of life in storage from every end of the US, Europe, and Asia, different languages, cultures, currencies, square foot, cubic meters, you name it. We've seen it all. And we're able to apply all that knowledge into the decisions we help owner operators make both domestically and abroad now. Yeah, no, I, I I love it. And it's so interesting in that context. And I, and I bring this to people, when people are thinking about storage, I think it's important to understand when we're talking about these different facets, that storage, as I, as I always say, is a business. It's not an investment. And so these facets that we're discussing are super important to understand how this business works, operates, and the opportunities associated with it. So although, yes, supply and demand and the market stuff, that is um, very very important. Obviously, we talk about it endlessly here. It's a make or break. It's out of your control. But operations and storage is unlike any other asset class. You just don't have it in um, in apartment buildings, things like that. And I know there's a, a lot of brokers and a lot of amazing brokers. This is nothing about brokers. But until you've operated a facility, it's really hard to understand the value, where to find it, and what certain impacts will have on that investment because operations are so fundamentally important in this asset. Well, I think you nailed it, Jay. It's, it's even something as simple as an owner calls me working with and looking for some report. I can blindly walk you through the screen because I've, I've worked on all these software programs over the years. I can tell you where to pull the management summary and the unit mix. And, and I also know that feeling as an owner operator being behind the desk of that one facility unit that you've spent 30 years working on and building and pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into, because I've spent more than half my life running these sites with my family. I, I know what it feels like to be in that position. And again, having built them and managed them and operate them. I mean, we again, we touched every emotional touching point for that process. And so we like to bring that skill set into helping these owners and operators. And as you mentioned, we've got our book coming out this spring. That's a lot of what that touches on is it's how we can help these individual owner operators maximize their value at sale. We're providing that, that service that says, hey, we're not just here to help you sell. We're here to help you really bring out your top dollar in this and really help you on to that next stage of your life. And, and obviously, we can, we can touch on that later. But I think the, the important thing here today is to talk about all of the craziness mm -hmm. that happened in 2020 yes. and everything that came across our plate, what's going on and what we're seeing for next year as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, going on to that, I, I don't know. The states are run so differently, um, thank goodness. Uh, and the impact on self-storage for a large extent in my portfolio, as I saw in others, was how the governments allowed us to open our doors and take in customers because we were in some states that were full shutdown. They're like, don't you dare open your door, right? And then we had other states, um, you know, like Idaho and uh, Kansas um, that were more lenient. It was like, no, you could have your doors open. That, And we saw the impact of our, our facility um, was affected in the short term a lot more on that. After we had broad openings up, that, that, that changed because we could bring people in. So why don't we start to go through that and go through overall self-storage performance in 2020? Let's start big. What happened in the industry? 
So I think one of the biggest things we have, as you correctly pointed out, AJ, when when the first you know international ban happened in that mid-March range, a lot of states scrambled to kind of figure out how they were handling things, what their shutdown regulations looked like. And as you correctly pointed out, some states said, nope, storage is closed. You can't even open your doors. It's not an essential service. You know, boom. And you basically just stop your business. And we don't know what to do. The customers don't know what to do. They want their stuff. They need our help. We can't help them. That's that's detrimental to a single owner operator, let alone you know, a bigger portfolio too. But then you have some states that recognize the value of what we provide in our community and deemed us an essential service. You know, I don't know about all your stores, but I know a lot of clients work in ours. We have medical records, dental yes. records, doctor, I mean, lawyer records. I mean, we have vaccines, we, we have uh, medical equipment, we have businesses that utilize it daily to operate, yeah. build. Um, and yep. then obviously individuals, it's an extension of their home. Some of these yep. people are going multiple times a week to that facility just to do daily living. Well, and then also we talked to a lot of owner operators that through all the PPM sales and stuff, they were using storage facilities as distribution points yes. last mile. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of bewildered me to an extent that some states didn't recognize the value of, of these storage facilities and what they could play in the grand scheme of things. And as you and I will know, and every owner operator in the country, it's not like there's a lot of touching points day in, day out of the storage facility, yeah. especially if you're driving straight up to your unit. You're not you seeing really anybody. Yeah. So, you know, this was this was an issue that I think a lot of people had in different states. And thankfully, a lot of states we work in, as you, know, so you said, some of yours, we were open through it. They recognized the value of us as an essential business. Um, but, you know, April, May was was an odd time in storage, as it was for the rest of the U.S., obviously. But we saw about a four to six percent uptick in accounts receivables across, you know, not only our stuff, but other owner operators as well, just because Americans are scrambling, you know, the last bill they're going to want to pay between their phone and their mortgage or their storage unit, you know, they're going to say, hey, you know, I'm going to let that go for a month. You know, we saw a little bit of that. Honestly, I thought it was going to be larger with everything oh, going on. Too. I thought we were going to continue that trend, May, June, July, another, you know, 5, 10, 15, I think a lot of people panicked. They were like, man, what if my portfolio gets to 60% occupancy? How am I doing that? You know, and we started to look at that. And then the you know, tail into May, June hit, and everyone kind of rebounded. And there was this breath of fresh air that said, you know what? I think storage is gonna do do okay through this, just like we did 2008 to 2011. You know, there's this this moment of panic because obviously. We don't know what's going on. The government doesn't know what's going on. There is just sheer misunderstanding of this unknown factor in the U.S. right now and abroad as to what's happening. And all of a sudden, though, we're seeing this shining beacon of light in an investment through self-storage pressed right through this odd pandemic time we're living in. You know, we saw, and it was interesting because like, we were in Nevada, and Nevada came out and was like, you can't not only auction, you can't charge late fees, you can't do anything. So if they don't pay, we don't care. And not only that, you can't go back. Yep. So as far as we knew, everyone could stop paying us, and there was no time frame set. This was indefinitely. And there was nothing we could do about it. Like, we couldn't yep. even go back to retrieve money owed, which blew our mind. It was yep. like— I, you know, and we, you know, as we thought, I wonder if they would just let the doors open at Walmart go in and be like, you can't charge people for anything they take. You know, yeah. it was totally crazy. And that got really scary because we thought 
oh, everybody's going to catch on to this and nobody's going to pay. That yep. never happened. It, it never God. happened. And we found that um, we had an uptick in delinquencies, but everyone ended up getting current and it was short lived. I mean, we're talking about a few months and that was relatively the same in all states that it was short lived, no matter how hard the lockdown was. So Nevada rebound just as fast as our other states that were open. I think the difference was, was that three, that really three month period of time in which that, that, that unknown and everything was taking place. But by fall, they were all back on the same playing field. In fact, a large portion of our portfolio, everything's down. Delinquencies are down. We're up in everything. Um, I think probably the biggest hit, which isn't a hit, and that's why I don't think people count it. And this is why, uh, and this uh, is something I'm very interested in national, nationally, is that we were strapped on our ability to give increases. Correct. There was capped. So we had in almost all our states some level of uh, price gouging, which was mm -hmm. set at a certain level, which was interesting because we were going, well, we'd planned rate increases, you know, a year before. So we have them all scheduled out. It's automatic. It's individual. We had to go back and redo all of that, um, which we weren't planning on increasing it because of the pandemic, mm -hmm. but it stopped us from meeting our projections, which were on average six to 12%. Um, rate increases per individual, depending, this is once again, average, some were a little higher, um, none were lower than six, but, uh, then from there we came down and it was all under 10. There was nothing yep. that we could do. And, and we were advised by a lot of attorneys, you go over 10% and you're going to get in, in some trouble. So it slowed our growth down, I think dramatically from that standpoint, but that's not something a lot of people were looking at nationally because that was a. Um, something you could have had that you didn't get. But for us, it was a real impact. It was like, wow, this set us back. When you take 1.5 million square feet and you're losing 5% across, you know, 1.5, that's a big difference through the year. Well, it, it, it's a huge deal. And, and I think what a lot of owner operators, you know, I've talked to people again all over the country, they had a tremendous year. They were up yes. you know, year over year this mm -hmm. fall income, occupancy levels, yep. like net move-ins. But you're right. This pause delayed that growth pattern and that compounding interest that you and I have talked about time and time again with the rate at which you can grow your asset over time. Now, relatively, all things considered in you know the way the rest of the US played out through this, I feel really good about that. Yeah. We're, you know, if that's the worst yeah. thing that happened to us is Instead of a ten percent increase, we saw six percent. Yeah, you know, fantastic. Things are good. I had I know clients that have lost hundred million dollar retail portfolios and you know hotels yep. and you name it. I mean, it's a scary time for a lot of asset classes. Yes. But storage yeah. rang true in twenty twenty, and and I'm here for it. And I think you know not only through the performance of you know people that we know and we interact with, but Wall Street and private equity responded extremely well to storage in that you know Q3, Q4 push last year. And I think it, it, it shocked me at first how much of an impact they were bringing in 2020. But if that doesn't solidify that storage is here to stay, then, then I don't know what does, AJ. Now, let, let's talk about this, because this is the most overlooked thing 
that I think, you know, a lot of people will say statistics like, oh, maybe acquisitions were down or this, down or this. But to me, 2020 was the year of big deals. As in, oh, yeah. I don't remember or know of a year ever where I think 2020 was probably the biggest transactions that have ever happened in our business. I and it wasn't due to distressed assets. No, I think other than 2020, the last like big, big, big takedown was maybe the life storage one. You know, that that to me in my mind is like that was a huge takedown a couple of years ago. Um, but this year, you know, not only did we see Blackstone creep in, Bill Gates entered the storage industry. Um, you know, I mean, right there, that's over you know, three, three, four billion dollars worth of valuation in transactions done. Uh, Cube bought half billion dollar portfolio in New York City. Um, and that was December, only, a, that was only know, a handful of stores too, right? Wasn't oh, that like was three, three stores in the Bronx? Jeez. Three stores. Well, then, and then PS is uh, rumored to buy that Beyond Storage portfolio, and that's what five hundred twenty-eight million. And then they've got the um, the Easy Storage portfolios on the market for over two billion right now. I mean, like that's insane. Yeah, that is you know five billion dollars worth of transactions tail into Q three and Q four alone, and, and less than five <laughs> that amount. Yeah. I mean, those, those are not you know those are not small deals. You no, know I mean? it's like, no, and especially is, in the storage space. Like I get yeah. it if you're in major office building, something like that, and they're like, oh, we do more than that in the morning. But you're talking about assets that big ones are 150,000 square feet. Yeah. I mean, we don't have skyscrapers. That you know, it's it's that's not how no, it I mean, works. Like, like a facility over ten million dollars, that that's, that's a big, a big that's deal. That's a big store. Yeah. That's the, the average operator, you know, we call it the, the two to five. You're in the two to five million dollar range. Getting a store over ten million, that's impressive. So when you're trading these deals in the billion plus range. I mean, those are very impressive, very large main and made class A portfolios. And I mean, again, I think Blackstone's entrance is huge. It's one of the largest real estate holders in the world. And Bill Gates coming in with Storage Mart. I mean, you know, we know the Burnhams. We've done a lot of yeah. work with them. Their portfolio is now valued at $2.7 billion from Bill Gates jumping in. If those two entrants to the market alone last year don't solidify this class A position of how storage currently stands. I, I don't know what will, AJ. Yeah. Yeah. Blackstone was huge because Blackstone was, you know, we had, of course, the Walmart family, which, uh, you know, is part of that too. And, and a lot of huge big players, including REITs. Um, but as far as fund managers go, Blackstone's it. They're the That's pinnacle. It. That's and, the crumbler. Yeah. And so when they came in, that was, uh, you know, for me, it was the epitome of we, you know, storage is not going to go back to like when we were in it and you were buying 12, 13 caps, right? No. That's not, that's not <laughs> happening anymore. That's not. In 20, 2011, I think I sold maybe a couple deals in like the 10, 11 range. And I, like, I couldn't give them away. And yeah. now, I mean, anything over a seven, I've got like 50 voicemails. I, yeah. I can't. I, you know, I can't sell fast enough. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, SoftBank kind of jumped in in 2019 with Clutter. Yeah. I think they, they gave like 200 million. Um, and so, you know, that was, I was like, wow, it's kind of big and interesting seeing a big, big group like yeah. SoftBank, you know, like WeWork and all that stuff. That's a big entrance right there. And we've seen some other, you know, REIT takedowns yeah. and stuff like that. But for a, you know, over a billion dollar buyout, that that's, that's monumental. Yeah. And I think, for the storage industry, you know, no one's going to forget 2020 
period ever in the history of, of life itself. But yeah. as far as like a, a pivotal point, as far as asset valuation, strength of industry and market, this is definitely going to be one that I'll remember forever. Absolutely. And now I want to talk about the other side. This is acquisitions. Let's talk developments. What did yeah. you see on the development front? Front Because development, you know, has been screaming for like three, four straight years. Hundreds um, of millions spent yeah. every month in yeah. development across the U.S. since I'd say really 2015, 2016. Yeah. Just lit a fire and it's been insane well 20 yeah i think it, i think you're right i think it was 2016 it surpassed the next highest year on record of development and every single year past that has been more yep so 2020 I mean, it did, did it hold up to that did you did oh. we see a pause or again there was there was a pause because yeah. a lot of these states they could have skeleton crews or no crews or you know, banks were stopping, like CMBS just shut yeah, down. Shut down. Like, there's mm-hmm. just no CMBS just didn't exist. Yep. And I know on top of it, a lot of other banks were like, you know, they hit the stop button. Everyone did. So I mean it, there was a, a slowdown, but I mean, I would say you know, you look at again, like Janice is going public. Yeah. Like, I mean, you see all these nonsense about you know, steel just continuing to grow. I know clients right now, they're waiting 20, 25 weeks for steel delivery for projects. Like there is no shortage of demand for construction in the US right now. Yeah. And I'd say on the construction front, we saw a couple markets where product was being delivered in the midst of the pandemic. And that was tough for some people. And yes. again, not their fault. You underwrote this deal three years ago. Yep. Who the hell knew we were going to be in the middle yeah. of COVID? Yeah. You know, no one. But I know other people that delivered product in markets like Tampa in the midst of this, and they killed it. They had a great lease up. Yeah. And so, you know, again, it, it's not just COVID related. It's market related. If you pick a good market and you build good product, there are still pockets that need to be filled in the United States for class A product, period. Yep. Bar none. Yep. I I couldn't agree more. And people say, so now's a good time to get into storage. And I'm like, storage is good. Up, down, it's based upon localized market and demand and operations. And I buy in up markets and I buy in down markets because a good deal is a good deal. And that doesn't change. It's not, I'm not trying to time markets here. That's not how this works. Well, I, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, we sold um, a developed piece of property to a client a couple weeks ago. And I had an owner operator in same same city reach out to me this morning and say, Hey, is you know, is this close to my project? I couldn't find the address. I was like, Oh, it's actually about nine miles away, 15 minute drive. You know, which in the grand scheme of things, not very far. And he goes, Oh, okay, cool. Like he immediately was like, Oh, that's not in my market. And I want you to think about that for a minute. How big, you know, the yeah. US is. We talk about competitors all the time. You know, these as you talk about localized markets, even the announcement of this new project, just a 15 minute drive away not of concern to them because that's not their competitive sphere right there. So I think people forget how really localized this is. And it's tough in major markets because you can't blanket all of DFW or all of Tampa or all of Miami and tell me that it's overbuilt. Yeah. There's just, there's no way like that. That's like where I live, Boise, Idaho, you know, it's like 26 square feet per capita in the Metro area. And it's like, I would never touch this market. I mean, I'm developing in Boise right now uh, because <laughs> why the downtown corridor where yeah. we were at it's if it, but if I drove five minutes from that facility, five yeah. minutes from where we're developing, I would never touch mm-hmm. it. And, yeah. and that's confusing to a lot of real estate operators. Cause they're like, wait, 
if a city has too much apartments, it has too much apartments. You don't drive five minutes away and say, oh, it's okay now, right? And or retail, right? That's just not how it seems to really work. Uh, But with storage, it is. It's hyper local. And outside that three to five mile radius, um, you just don't, people just don't drive five miles to go to another storage facility. No, and and I think, again, we're going to continue to see a big development push. There's still opportunity, there's still market movers. And I think one of the biggest things that's going to fuel development, you know, I think if COVID didn't happen, development would probably slowly taper it off. But AJ, I'm telling you, man, the way that people are flooding to, you know, let's call it better states to live in right now is insane. We have people exiting, you know, New York City by, I think it was 4 million people left the greater New York City area last year. And they're going to the Mid-Atlantic, they're going to Florida. People from California are coming to Idaho, Nevada, Arizona. I mean, this flood of tens of millions of Americans is increasing more demand for storage in all these new markets. Yeah. And it is wild. I mean, I, I we have created our own second boom, essentially, yeah. through COVID. Yeah. Now, this is an, a, kind of an important factor. So let's, let's get into this because this rolls us into 2020's crazy year. 2021 started out even more crazy. Um, so with that said, what does all of this mean for 21? And let's talk about these migration patterns for a minute and asset performance, because we talked about a few things before we got on the call here, which were, were really in, 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 intriguing. So let's go back through and talk to me about what you were seeing in the apartment space, those numbers, and then the migration patterns. Um, right. and, these and are I think, very I think it's awesome to, to really touch on these because – they can't be overlooked. And if anything, they should be thrown under a magnifying glass because this is the future of where storage is going right now. And again, we saw a similar pattern in 08, obviously for different reasons. But right now, I thought this was a great stat. So in October, I got it right here. The U.S. Census Bureau released their data. Um, they said that 7% of Americans had little to no confidence in making their next mortgage payment. Furthermore, of those already delinquent, were expected to either be evicted or foreclosed on in the next two months. So we've got, again, probably tens of millions of Americans, you know, half America already lives paycheck to paycheck. Throw in global pandemic and weak stimulus checks. You know, they're not paying rent, let alone having any lifestyle. They can't eat. They can't afford to go do anything. People are going to rent instead of own. They're going to be moving for new jobs and new opportunity or leaving states where they currently can't work, send their kids to school, you know, have a life. And those factors right there alone are going to drive the housing market, the rental market, and then new flooded activity to some of the most major, you know, metropolitans in different pockets of the country. And I think that was one of the great things we saw. United Van Lines, one of the largest national movers, released all their data. They did a top 10 list of cities that people were leaving and a top 10 list of cities that people were moving to. Uh, cities that people were leaving were like, actually, the top three were all New York City metros. And then the three that people were moving to were Wilmington, North Carolina, Sarasota, Florida, and Boise, Idaho. And it's exactly where we think them to move. You know, people are, they're open states that want to do business. There's a ton of demand for job and drive growth and lifestyle. And we're going to continue to see that and couple that in with affordable cost of living, AJ. 
and we've got a recipe for storage for the years to come. Yeah, it it, it is interesting. We're in a tale of two cities in the United States. Um, you know, I, I I talk about you know people to people. I, I live in a bubble, living where I live, as so do you, and. Yeah. We talk about, and I'm like, no, I don't live in a bubble. I just live in a better place uh, because, and it's and it's true from the fact that I we make a conscious effort to live in a place that is more, it, it it's just a better standard of living with the social unrest and rest and everything that happened in 22 and the lo, uh, the low disposable incomes alone with the high cost of living 2020 set that on fire, and that was. You know, the proverbial uh, straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, for so many people. And they're like, we're done. And uh, they're now showing that they're done with their dollars. And I think that the social unrest, the economic pressure, the increases in taxes, government intervention, combined with lifestyle, ability, and opportunity um, has created this tale of two cities. And this is important when analyzing what will happen in the future. Because when I look at 2021, I do not believe that the future 2021 is the same across the board. It is just not going to happen, right? The same way that certain markets, 2021 will be incredible. It'll be a great year. Amazing. And others, it it won't. Well, it's it's awesome you said it because I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, cities that were already trending in that direction are are just you know doubled down on all of a sudden you know nashville uh tampa fort collins like all these markets that we were already seeing awesome development and growth patterns you know people were moving there for again job lifestyle livability cost of living all those factors and now you've got that 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 straw that broke the camel's back in states like california where we saw 40 million people leave in 2020 alone like oh, that's that that is a crazy number. like and i don't blame them i wouldn't live there yeah. either i you yeah. know i, I couldn't yeah. i couldn't deal with, with being shut down like that no. so you know I, I think that we're seeing you know this this trend all those cities already and then 2020 just accelerated it it was just like throwing a match on the gasoline and we are just fueling this growth and development and boom and all of this migration there coupled now with people being able to work remotely and work from home and kids at home. They're making rooms in their home. They got to rent a storage unit. They're moving to a different city, storage unit. I've had friends that have you know, moved abroad and working remotely now in different countries, storage unit. They rent their house. I mean, all these drivers I'm all building. of a sudden- I've got two storage oh, units. You're building a house. And then I had a number of friends break their leases in Manhattan and move down here to rent because they can work remotely for the next year. Yeah. So, you know, they put their stuff in storage and came down here. I mean, there's all these, you know, I'd say, you know, times of uncertainty breeds good times for storage. Yes. Good, bad, you know, you're either building or you're selling your house. You yep. sell the second home or you buy the rental property. I mean, there's yep. always this influx. But these times of turmoil just breed opportunity for storage. And again, I'm thankful that we're in an industry that is able to provide a service that is very essential through times like this, as we talked about earlier, whether it's medical records and supplies, vaccine storage, um, but also for the average consumer. Someone's got to be there to help them when they're migrating throughout the United States for one reason or another, AJ. And so you just can see the continuation through 2021. Oh, I I think this is going to be a 
tremendous year for storage. And on top of that, interest rates aren't going anywhere. They're not going to yeah. raise rates in the middle of everything that's going on right now. No. I mean, the the amount of house ownership in the United States in the mid-Atlantic and Florida in particular is through the roof. I mean, like loan underwriters are backed up for weeks on home mortgages. What does that tell you about the trend as to where people are going? Yeah. And you couple that with, you know, big acquisitions like from, you know, BlackRock and Cube and all of them coming in heavy. We're seeing more PE trying to dump capital in storage than ever before. We get calls every week, yeah. you know, from groups New York, Chicago, Miami, abroad, you know, looking to come in the US and not everyone wants the half a billion dollar portfolio. You know, a lot of these groups very intelligently, I think, want to go amalgamate their own portfolio of single owner operators throughout the mid-Atlantic, throughout Texas, you know, the Bible Belt, you know, up in Idaho as well. And they're they're saying, hey, we want to buy those two to five million dollar properties. We're willing to pay the five, six cap for it to, you know, build out this hundred store chain. And we're seeing prices we just haven't seen historically. And it, it's crazy. I just it's not what I thought would have come from COVID if you told me this a year ago, yeah, period. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting when we're looking because you're coupled with a demand from consumers, investors, um, all around in storage. And we, it's, I can't tell you how many people I've discussed that were like, oh, I, I, I'm an, uh, you know, I, I invest in apartments or single family homes. We're selling it all and we're moving into storage. Um, and this for owners and operators and for my preferred mode of operation, the value add is great. And one of the reasons it's great is because on the financial side, when we're talking about getting loans, uh, that has changed so much. We have banks that call us asking us. Can, can you we do storage with you? We're trying to put more storage on our on our books. And can can we do that with you? Um, when I got started in storage, we were out with a tin cup to all the banks. Please, sir. Right. It was like, please, please underwrite our properties. I don't know. Yeah. That's a crappy asset. Why would I ever want to loan put a loan on that thing? Um, it's just changed. And yeah. this for you getting into for anybody getting into it, um, barriers have come down. And if you do a value add opportunity, your refinance and sell options are just absolutely so abundant right now that didn't exist in the early 2000s when we were in in storage and in the late uh in the late 90s um no. you know it was really you had to be really experienced and really well funded not only that but the bank had to really be willing to take on risk um, yeah. we, ha- we had an incredible balance sheet and we'd already owned storage and we had a time when we had like, it was half the banks were like, oh, we won't touch that asset. I mean, that's unimaginable <laughs> yeah. today. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, Hey, it's like in 2013, everyone was like, ah, oh, Bitcoin, never going to buy it. Now everyone's like, I wish I would have bought Bitcoin. Yeah. You know, all these banks are like, I wish I would have lent to those guys in 2013. And, you know, AJ, you know, you're building a house. I'm buying a house right now. It is. It's easier for me to go get a storage loan than it is a home mortgage. It is absurd yeah. how many calls we get on a daily basis to to say, "Hey, we want to look at your portfolio, or we want to talk to your clients, we want you know, like and sending out term sheets and rates." I mean, I've just never seen such a hyper competitive market, and it's because there's been all these other failing asset classes, and storage has just rang tried and true through this. And they're saying, hey, we want to double down on this. This did good for us. We would like to see this continue. And 
I think it's a great time for people to come in and, and leverage this up and take advantage of it because rates are low, terms are aggressive, and banks are hungry. And there are properties out there available to buy. Because you know what? There are people who have reached that life cycle where they say, hey, you know what? I was planning on selling in the next five years. Now's a great time to take advantage of the market. So boom, it's a win for them. Buyer comes in, they can leverage out, you know, 85, 15, 80, 20, get a you know rate sub four, and boom, they've just bought one of the best investment tools they can have for the next five, 10 years of their life. And I really like this time in the market because we can create a win-win strategy for everyone involved. And I don't think it's always that timing in the market. And it's a short-lived window. But I think we're going to see a lot of that come up this year, um, especially a lot, again, like I said, little older owner-operators who consider this time when they say, we don't know what's going to happen anymore. We have the next mm-hmm. two to three years, we don't, we don't know what regulations are going to come in in a week. Yeah. We have with coronavirus going, so we're going to take advantage of this and, and, and move on. So I, I for one, I'm think there's going to be super high. about about that. I, I, I saw oh. a post yesterday. People are like, listen, now that we know the political things, there's never been a more uncertainty as all these laws and all of these new policies shift over because we don't know what it is. So I'm thinking about getting out of this. Guys, yep. what, what do you think I could sell for? Anybody want to buy? Because if you need to retire in the next five years, uh, the uncertainty of how this will all play out in the next five years has, has never been higher. So it's like, well, I got to I mean, do it now. Tax, tax day. Standpoint alone with the political shift, that's yeah. something heavily there, let alone with everything else layered on top of that. But AJ, you nailed it. I mean, I have landed clients through Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, like people just posting about, hey, I'm looking for this, or I want to sell this, or this is the, what the direction I want to go, and this is the strategy I'm in. I mean, we are able to utilize all these tools to get in touch with so many people. And and again, in a year where there's you know little contact, you know. Zoom's awesome. I'd love, love to see a face-to-face, AJ. But this is this is great. And to leverage up yeah. tools like this, you know, and, and and products like Matterport, where we're able to do virtual walkthroughs of our listings and all of our drone videos and footage. I mean, we're more in touch with clients than we ever have been before. But you know, even as we've seen in you know these Facebook groups where people are saying, "Hey, I want to sell my storage facility," we're seeing you know multi-million deals, multi-million-dollar deals getting done over. A social media platform. I mean, yeah. it's, it's crazy the environment we're in. And I, I, for one, am very excited about where this year is trending for storage. I think it's going to be a good year for buyers and sellers alike. There's still tremendous opportunity for development. There are CO buyers, there are lease up buyers, there are stabilized buyers, and there's sellers on every side of the table. So I'm very comfortable about where we are. I like the direction we're going. I think there are markets that are going to do tremendously through this. There are going to be some that feel some pain. But those that feel some pain, there's a buying opportunity. So it's it's going to be a good year for storage all in all. And I think people just need to make the right decisions while we have this rate environment, while we have these leverage opportunities, and make sure that they're they're buttoned up for you know what is to come over the next five years. So that's how I want to top this thing off and how I want to close it out here is if you are getting started in storage in 2021, what's the playbook? How do you do it? What should you be looking for? What should you be looking out for? So I, I tell people all the time, one of the one of the best things you can do, and you know, like I'm clearly a licensed real estate agent. I you know help people buy and sell storage facilities. When I went to go buy a house, I hired an expert because 
I don't know, the first thing about buying or selling a home, you know, I, and I, I consider myself a fairly intelligent individual. I deal on transactional base every day, but that's just not my area of expertise. So I tell people all the time, if you are looking to buy or sell, hire an expert, hire a broker, someone that can help you, you know, go through this. You know, we deal with dozens and dozens of these transactions all the time. We, we see the intricacies, we understand the market, see what's going on. And on top of that, one of the best things you can do for yourself is spend, you know, three to $5,000, get feasibility studies done yes. going in any market. And I think too, AJ, one of the best resources on top of all this is to connect with your peers. And, and through your mastermind group has been an awesome way to just get involved and hear what's going on throughout the United States, hear the trials and tribulations of owners and operators, what worked, what didn't, where to buy, where not to build. And I think if you can kind of put those three together in one capacity or another, you'll really set yourself up for success because there is so much opportunity this year. But if it's a little bit newer of a facet to you, there are intricacies that that need to be you know walked through a little bit. Um, you know, the service storage is, is a very simple business, but as you and I will know, there's a there's a lot under the sheets. And if you don't have a good handle on that, it can get away from you pretty quickly. Yep. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, like I always say, success doesn't happen on an island. It's about surrounding yourself with the best, the most knowledgeable, because really you're, what you're trying to do is limit risk and increase upside. And uh, yep. limiting risk is about help having other people see things that you can't. Um, uh, so I think that's awesome. Uh, this was great, man. Thank you so much for coming on here, uh, given this update in this crazy time we're in. Um, I look forward here in the next few months when you release your book to come on here and talk to us about your book. But from for right now, where can people go to find you, get in contact with you? Appreciate it. So yeah, lindsayselfstoragegroup.com. You can email me, john at lindsayselfstoragegroup.com. And you can also text, call, or find me on WhatsApp, 1-919-381-7799. AJ, as always, thank you so much for having me, buddy. I'm very excited to see you in person this year. Look forward to seeing the new house. And uh, hopefully we can do lots of storage together. Sounds great, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks again. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one.